And now, the Husker Athletic Director Show with Bill Moose, presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Woodhouse Auto Family. Shop Woodhouse first. 18 brands, 18 locations, one team to help you get on the road faster. Woodhouse Auto Family, the official auto dealer of Nebraska athletics. And now, here's your host, Greg Sharp. Thank you and welcome to the program tonight. we got an hour with the athletic director from the University of Nebraska, Bill Moose. If you'd like to be a part of the program, here are the numbers, 531 500 4686. That will also double up as our U.S. Cellular text line, if that works better for you. U.S. Cellular, proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. It's been a month, but a busy month for Mr. Moose, who joins us now from his office over at North Stadium. And hallelujah, we got some Big Ten football coming up here in about a month. That was uh, that was been a remarkable 30 days for you. Yeah, it's it's it was amazing, Greg. But I, I just want to take a a minute before we get to that in more detail and um, just publicly offer my condolences and I know all the Huskers to uh, head coach Scott Frost and the passing of uh, his father, uh, Larry. Um, our condolences go to Scott's mother, Carol, and his brother Steve, and the entire family and uh, the beautiful service yesterday uh outdoors very very well done and uh a real tribute to a wonderful wonderful guy who was a pretty good football player himself for bob devaney in the mid to late 60s and uh greg they showed some film clips uh at the service and and uh larry was a player let me just tell you a very talented wing back um grew up playing eight man football here in Nebraska was actually recruited by a young Tom Osborne on Coach Devaney's staff and uh, uh, went on to be a, a uh, Hall of Fame coach himself here in the state of Nebraska and and um, uh, we, we feel for Scott uh, it's a anytime you lose a parent it's tough and and you know with all the other things we're going through right now uh, I know his uh, He's, he, he would appreciate thoughts and prayers, and um, I know he's getting lots of them. So I, I wanted to take a minute to uh, to offer those condolences to Scott. No doubt he's had a long battle with cancer and uh, uh, in a better place now. He's up in heaven, and we do send our thoughts and prayers to the Frost family. You have been through a winding road. Take us through the last 30 days, Bill. What what helped change the script and now now football on the horizon for all of us? Well, you know, we talked earlier uh, that, um, you know, we, we thought we were off and running with a 10-game schedule in early August, and um, it, uh, it, it, it was uh, discontinued, uh, postponed on August 11th uh, due to the concerns of the presidents and, presidents and chancellors of the Big Ten in regards to the testing protocols and the overall safety and and well-being uh of our student athletes so uh we we uh got up dusted ourselves off and went to work uh to address the issues that uh, we had heard Uh, i think the conference did a very good job of putting three committees together uh one on scheduling one on uh television 
And of course, I think the most important one was the medical piece. And uh, uh, really went to work with the good help of uh, campus medical uh, officers and especially uh, Dr. James Borchards of Ohio State, who was their team doctor, is a former player for the Buckeyes. And he really did an outstanding job uh, uh, along with our ADs that were on that committee, chaired by Sandy Barber of Penn State, and uh, were able to convince the presidents and chancellors that we had a safe environment, uh, that we could uh, control the virus in a, in a good and solid way and that our testing was secure and that we had the number of tests necessary to test every day, which we will, six, six days a week, and uh, uh, be able to compete uh, beginning the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. So that was great news. Um, you know, we, we had to put a schedule together. We had to, we had to uh, take care of a lot of questions and a lot of a lot of areas, and we're still working on a lot of that. But the good news is, is we do have a schedule. Uh, some have a tougher schedule than others, but that happens a lot in this business. And uh, we we're ready to get after it. Our guys are ready to play, and our coaches are ready to coach. And I really feel that our fans are ready to watch, uh, even though they're not going to be able to do it inside Memorial Stadium. Logistically, Bill, a lot to be done, right? I mean, your ops people have to be going crazy trying to figure out flights and getting a plane and getting hotels. I mean, it, there's, this is a big undertaking to get a football team moved around in, in about a month's time, isn't it? Yeah, it is in a month's time and in perfect conditions. But when you've got a, a worldwide pandemic and, and uh, uh, we've never tried this before, you know, we're going to have to go to Columbus, Ohio, uh, to open up against number two Ohio State, and we uh, we've got we've got to be ready. How we're going to occupy a chartered aircraft? Who's going to be going? Um, the hotel piece of it. Are we even going to going to use a hotel? Or maybe so there's some schools talking about going in day of game, and of course returning after. So we uh, we're all working on this uh, on all of our campuses, and we continue to have our morning calls uh, among the the Big Ten athletic directors as we uh, carve out what the policies and procedures are going to be because we're playing in just, just a month, Greg. So we, we've got a lot of work to do between now and then. Bill, there have already been quite a few cancellations around the country. In fact, today Notre Dame had to cancel their game Saturday with Wake Forest. Uh, with the protocols you and the conference have put together, do you believe you can avoid some of the, the potholes that some of the other conferences have already experienced? Yeah, I think we can learn from them, uh, Greg, and, and uh, we certainly are, are uh, following everything very closely. Um, certainly we're hoping that there won't be cancellations uh, in, in, in our season, but I think it's pretty much inevitable that there could be. You know, with our footprint that... Uh, covers 11 different states from uh, Nebraska all the way out east to New Jersey and Maryland and everything in between. Uh, it's uh, it's got a, a lot of challenges to it. So uh, we're watching, we're seeing how people are, uh, are, are 
handling these things, how they're responding to those challenges and uh, trying to learn along the way because uh, uh, we're, we're going to be uh, the, the, late, the late guys getting into the game here. Uh, Pac-12 may come after us. They're not sure on that. But uh, the good news is we, we'll be able to have seen uh, how some of these things are working before we actually start our season. Bill, well, can you kind of give us a, a behind-the-scenes look? What's the team been doing in the last month? Uh, have they been doing workouts? Have they been out on the field at all? What what has been going on with this football team? Yeah, they have, Greg. They've uh, we've been restic- restricted to twelve hours a week in, until um, just a short while ago. We're back to twenty hours, which is the standard. Uh, time that you get during a season per week. So uh, we're getting uh, access from the coaches. That's all good. Uh, able to wear helmets uh, and and getting used to those and, and the uh, face guards and all the things that are going to be standard uh, as we go into the season. And then, then we will go into, uh, into a buildup to where we will be in pads uh, for 29 days prior to our first competition. So uh, it's, it's kind of like fall camp uh, that we're uh, heading into shortly and uh, very, uh, very much like what we were hoping we were going to be doing uh, uh, in July leading into August and on into the first week of September. Bill, it, it, it appears that, and, and you've made comments about this over the last five, six months, that, it, that Nebraska – Everybody's been kind of pulling in the same direction. I don't think that's been the case everywhere around the country, particularly in the Big Ten. I'm not sure that's been the case on some of the campuses. How valuable has that been, and and how good of a feeling is that as the athletic director to have everybody rowing in the same direction, number one? And, and how, how big was UNMC, part of the university system here in Nebraska? How big have they been for you in the last five, six months? Our leadership, uh, Greg, in the, within the university has been outstanding, and you're right. We all are on the same page. Uh, we all want to see football and, and, uh, and, and our sports programs across the board being able to compete and, and these young people getting to live their dreams. And, and uh, it, it has been uh, very, very good to have the support of Chancellor Green and, and President Carter and the Board of Regents. And then... Uh, you know, the community here in Lincoln and our fans throughout the state and beyond, uh, it's, it's, the support has been felt and it's been appreciated. And, and uh, we're, we're very, very fortunate. I've said this every time we're on the air. I can't, I can't say enough about our fabulous fans who I know are disappointed because they're not going to be able to see the Huskers in person, but they're going to be able to watch and see Nebraska football and and uh, for that I'm very grateful and and grateful to them because uh, they truly are the best fans in college football and how about UNMC and the cooperation you've had with them uh, outstanding off the charts again that's the Nebraska family and uh, their physicians some key physicians there uh, Dr. Cradiville, uh, Dr. Capsule, uh, very, very much involved um, and providing us with everything we need to make sure, again, that we are safe, that we have the tests, um, that we're able to test uh, these 
these young people as they returned to campus and if we uh, if, if we had symptoms and such they've been just outstanding and again that's an example of uh, great teamwork and caring by uh, all the various uh, pieces of the University of Nebraska family and and uh, it, it couldn't have happened without everybody really being on that same page and caring like we all do let's go to the text line Stephen Omaha, Bill, says, do you feel there is an underlying resentment against Nebraska among the Big Ten hierarchy? If so, do you think that had anything to do with the schedule? No, I, I, uh, I, I, I can't say that. Um, you know, everybody wants to look out for themselves, uh, just like uh, I do, and, and uh, some Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. The important thing uh, along with that is that we keep the unity of the conference and, and that we're all um, in this together in the end and that we, we not only um, uh, protect our individual brands but also the fabulous brand of the Big Ten Conference. So um, as, it, as it broke down as to who we're playing, it was basically uh, based on the original uh, schedule that uh, the 12 game schedule with nine conference games, uh, we were uh, uh, in, in a position with our Ohio State series to be playing them for six straight years. That's uh, something that happened a few years back, and then we'll get some uh, relief from that in the following years. But uh, so that stayed in place, and then the one uh, crossover that the East had in, in 2020, um, just how, how the, uh, the games were situated, uh, was Penn State coming to Lincoln to play the Huskers. So as it narrowed down to just eight games, those were the two that, uh, that stayed. And unfortunately, that gave us a total of five preseason top 25 games. Uh, I do feel that maybe those could have been spread out a little bit. Um, opening at number two, Ohio State, who was in the CFP, the college football playoffs, a year ago and very uh, easily could be back there this year and maybe win a national championship, is um, a bit daunting if you look at it that way. But, uh, hey, uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to play them at some point. Maybe the best time to play them is, is early. But... Uh, and then we've got uh, uh, number seven, Penn State, and number 12, I believe, Wisconsin, all in the first four games. So, um, you know, in sports, and we talk about football in particular, it's so important, especially as you're developing a program and with a young team to uh, establish momentum and morale early on. And uh, we're going to have to really work on that because uh, we have our, our work cut out for us, but we're up to the challenge. Let's go back to our U.S. Cellular text line. This is Carla, Bill. She wants to thank you for all the long hours and hard work that went into helping us get Big Ten football back. She wants to ask what we as fans can do to support the big red teams and bring about a calm and positive atmosphere to counter the negative attitude that the national media has brought toward Nebraska. Well, uh, one must remember, we're a national brand. Uh, We're recognized. Uh, We we are outspoken. I know I am personally about what I think is right. And 
the number one thing that I wanted out of all of this was to play football. Uh, I wanted to our, our, our players to have an opportunity to compete, um, to uh, be rewarded for their hard work, and they have worked hard. And in the end, now we are going to play football. We're going to play nine games, hopefully, unless there's some cancellations, and maybe a bowl game as well. So we need to look at that as a positive. And um, our fans, what they can do is is uh, continue to support us however you can. Um, we we uh, we're going to make you proud. And uh, everybody knows that we wish that uh, we could have a packed stadium like we have since 1962. Uh, I think 357 now that we're at uh, consecutive sellouts. And, and uh, uh, we are going to be innovative. Uh, our marketing and promotions people are having fun in ways that we can involve the fans, even though they can't be in Memorial Stadium. So... Uh, Carla, you watch for those things, and, <laughs> and all of our fans that are listening, we, we have some fun things. It's going to be a different year, and we're going to offer different things, and that's just how we have to approach it. But um, let's have some fun along the way, too. It is supposed to be fun, after all. That's a perfect lead into our next text is, Bill, do we get a mulligan this season for the sellout streak? We sure do, because if you can't sell, you can't sell out. Uh, so, I mean, if there, if there was a restriction of uh, 25% uh, capacity, I'd count that as a sellout. If it was 50% sellout, because we'd do that, we'd fill that. But uh, no fans, or very few, uh, primarily players, parents, their family members, and, and maybe just a handful of friends, uh, coaches' families were still were still working all of that, so uh, this is gonna, this is going to be an asterisk year that uh, the sellout streak just settles where it is, and we pick up again next year when hopefully we're back in full swing. Bill, what what response have you gotten from your season ticket holders? I know you've had to been you've been dealing with them for a couple of months now on the uncertainty about whether they could get through the gates or not to watch this team this year. What what has the reaction been? Well, Greg, we surveyed them um, before we knew where we were going to end up in all of this and asked them. Uh, uh, gave them three options if if they wanted to. Uh, go ahead and support us with their season ticket dollars and their um, donor seating pledges. Uh, if they wanted to um, apply those those uh, dollars and pledges to next year, or if they wanted a refund. And again, in true Nebraska fashion, our our fans uh, uh, came back with uh, just an uh, amazing answers. We had. 20% of, uh, of our fans, our season ticket holders, that said, hey, you keep our money. It's yours. We know these are tough times. Um, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing. We're all in this together. 60% uh, answered, just go ahead and apply our money to next year. Use it how you need to. This year, we know it's going to be a tough uh, budget year, so... You just feel comfortable, because we do, to go ahead and keep our money and apply it to our seats next year. And then just 20% of our, uh, our fans 
or season ticket holders ask for a refund and they'll be right back uh, with us next year. So uh, that I'd, I'd like to say that that surprises me, but it doesn't just because I've, I've grown used to the great uh, dedication and passion that our, ha our fans have for Nebraska athletics and in this case, Husker football specifically. You know, I, I asked you earlier about the, you know, the unification of, of really the entire leadership group at Nebraska and how remarkable it has been to watch. You have to feel that from your fan base, too, don't you, Bill? I mean, we hear it every night on this show, how people are all in the same going in the same direction. And that can be rare sometimes in college athletics. Oh, let me tell you, um, it's incredible. And uh you know, we got a solid program. We've got great coaches. We're, we're recruiting and, and developing fabulous uh, uh, student athletes. Uh, we, we need to get back into that championship mode that we remember from two decades ago. And um, everybody involved with our program, again, uh, administrators, coaches, uh, support people, of course, our student athletes themselves and all of our fans all believe it. And, um, you know, I've seen and been a part of, of uh, programs where frustration builds and apathy comes in and uh, uh, disappointment and growling and mumbling. And I really feel that our, our fan base is uh, really excited and proud of what we're doing and how we're doing it. We don't cheat. We do things right. We take tremendous care of our student athletes, and and uh, we remain a source of pride for the the, the the great state of Nebraska. And we that will always be a big part of our mission. So uh, we will work every day as hard as we can to get back into that championship caliber programs. And you know we have some already. You, you just look at John Cook's volleyball program. I believe we can have that in all of our in all of our sports we've we've seen it in in uh, softball we've seen it in baseball we certainly have seen it in football and uh and we're going to see it in men's and women's basketball uh we we are on the verge of something very very special here at the university of nebraska involving intercollegiate athletics and i'm just feel very fortunate and thrilled that i'm a part of it Let's get to the phones. Head to Omaha. Tom, you're up next with Bill. Good evening. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I have two questions. Do we have anything on the uh, TV times or what time of day these games are going to be played? And then the second thing is, can we go ahead and, and open up some venues, uh, PBA, Devaney Center, the stadium, and put a wall of TVs? And for the away games, maybe have some people to get together and watch them? Well, thanks, Tom, and, and thanks for dialing in uh, this evening. Uh, the answer to your first question is uh, no, we don't know times and we don't know days yet. There will be Friday evening games, um, again, with a condensed schedule and um, uh, the, the cooperation that we have with our television partners, uh, they, they are... Um, going to need inventory for Fridays in order to uh, be able to have a, 
uh, a, a deal that can give us the most lucrative um, outcome here at the end of the year. So there will be uh, some Friday games. Um, the second piece, and, and we don't know times yet, of course, either. Um, I spoke earlier about some uh, innovative ideas that our, uh, my staff is putting together right now and uh, a lot of fun things that could include watch parties and such. We've got to be a little bit careful because uh, uh, large groups uh, are still being uh, somewhat frowned upon. Uh, but there, there, I think, are some ideas that we can put together that could be uh, a lot of fun for our fans and certainly uh, keep them involved, which is one of our real uh, uh, priorities in, in this whole football season. Dovetailing with that, Bill, on our text line, Ken in Fullerton goes, is that Iowa game now back on Black Friday? Anything to announce yet on that? Yeah, that is going to be – well, it's going to be that weekend, and uh, – both Gary Barter, Barda, the athletic director at Iowa, and myself have uh, requested that it be uh, uh, the Black Friday game. Um, we, as, as we've talked about on the program before, Greg, uh, th- this is something we're working hard to establish, a, a strong rivalry with Iowa. I think we're getting there. Uh, people feel that they are the closest in proximity uh, to our campus and ours to theirs. And, and uh, we, we want to establish that as a yearly Black Friday game. And uh, this year, it'll be on that weekend. And uh, I'm feeling uh, good about the prospects of it being on the Friday. Very good. All right, back to the phones we go up to Omaha. Brian, good evening. You're up with Bill Moose. Hey, Bill. Um, I just want to say, as a, as a Buckeye fan, um, I know that Coach Day and Justin Fields, they worked really hard on this. But I want to personally thank... You, your university, your players, Coach uh, Scott Frost, you guys did a tremendous job never letting down on the fight, and now we have college football back. And I just want to say that is uh, a miracle and a blessing, and uh, thank you very much. Have a great night. Well, thank you, Brian. And and I think it's appropriate to point out uh, to our listeners that uh, Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, and Ryan Day, the head football coach, were right in unison with us in, in really battling to get this season to become a reality. Um, for a lot of the same reasons, uh, uh, here at Nebraska, we talked about it to, for our players, for our coaches, for our fans, just to be playing football. Uh, all the same uh, uh uh, with Ohio State, but one one additional piece is uh, the Buckeyes really uh, have a realistic and legitimate chance to compete for a national championship. And to do that, uh, they they needed to have X number of games uh, in place and having been uh, uh, t- taken care of and in the win-loss column to even have a chance before the uh, college football playoff committee makes their decision. So uh, this is going to benefit the Buckeyes in that way. Um, there will be a day where it's going to benefit the Huskers too, and it's not that far away. Realistically, it's probably not going to be this year, but uh, it does our conference good to be in the conversation for the college football playoff 
and uh, to be in a position for one or two of our, our programs to uh, maybe win the, win the national championship. That keeps our brand polished. It keeps it in the forefront. And that's important for all 14 schools in our footprint. Appreciate the call from Omaha. Let's stay in Lincoln next. Jerry, good evening. You're up with Bill Moose. Hey, Bill, good evening. I just wanted to Hi, uh, call and... Thank you for, first of all, coming to the state of Nebraska and then being, uh, I've watched all the athletic directors come through here all my life, and I've been a lifelong Husker fan and uh, involved in the business a little bit myself. But you have done such a tremendous job of hiring coaches. Uh, You've done a super job of that. Uh, I really appreciate what you've been going through uh, with this COVID thing and how you've handled it. And I appreciate how you have, uh, you know, looked, seemed like adopted Nebraska uh, and how you feel about the state. And I appreciate that. And you have kind of held up what I've always said was that I think the best athletic directors are those that have played uh, the game somewhere down the line or coached in it because they have a better understanding of what the athletes go through uh, and the coaches go through. And uh, I thank you so much for coming to the state of Nebraska and uh, the best wishes always. Good job. Thank you, Jerry. That's that's a tremendous compliment because uh, there has been some very, very good athletic directors here at the University of Nebraska, and, and it means a great deal. I, I really appreciate those kind words. Um, you know, I... Uh, I, I came to Nebraska in hopes of doing um, my part in getting us back to where I feel it's our rightful place, and uh, that's in the uh, in in the minds of everybody in college athletics, and will be more specific in the sport of football um, that. Uh, we all want to be, and, and nobody was expecting a worldwide pandemic. Um, and so we had to shift gears and call an audible ourselves. And I was hoping that uh, my, really it's my third full year, but um, in some sense my fourth year, I've been here three and a half football seasons when this one is completed, that we would be in a position uh, to really uh, get off and running with a good non-conference schedule and and uh, go into our conference schedule with good momentum and and a lot of national attention and uh, it was all laid out for us to do that and and uh, uh, the cards will, were dealt differently for all of us and um, I told my staff when this thing whole, all hit and uh, we came together as a family my message was when the dust settles on all of this how we navigate through this crisis will define us much more than any championship we will ever win or ever have won. And I think we're navigating it tremendously. And in the end, when we all come out, we're going to be stronger. We're going to be unified. Uh, and we're going to be excited to continue and get back to normal. And uh, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting that day. But... Jerry, thank you. That means a great deal to me, and I want you to know that. Bill, we had a question on the text line. If, if you were to have a, an opponent cancel on you, 
Can you fill that spot with another Big Ten team if they're in the same predicament? Has that scenario come up in your meetings at all? No, it really, it really hadn't, Greg. And um, um, I, I'm not sure that that's going to be a possibility. I, I was hoping the first time around uh, with the August schedule that if we if we lost one, we could move it. See, we had the flexibility to um, move it after everybody got back on their feet to a bye week. Um, and we had the flexibility to push the start date back. And we had a couple by dates, uh, one for sure and possibly two uh, later on in the schedule. But with this, with the, the new schedule, the eight plus one schedule that we adopted, there are no buys. So uh, if, we, if we lose um, a, a, an opponent for a week, we're, uh, we're, we're in a bit of trouble, and we're only going to be probably able to play seven instead of eight games leading into that final week. Had a text question for you, Bill. Can you give up an, an update on the new addition for football? Yeah, we're, we continue to be very excited about that, Greg, and uh, we, we uh, are continuing now with design. That's going to wrap up. We think by late October or November, um, we, we, we will then hit the pause button, uh, get into the first of the year, and uh, hopefully be ready to get a shovel in the ground in May or June. So uh, it, it, we're kind of shooting for a, a plan that would uh, basically have us opening uh, that great facility a year later than we had originally uh, projected, but uh, again, our our donors, our fans, our contributors, uh, their pledges have all stayed in place. Their gifts are solid. We haven't had anybody ask for a a, a refund. It's just been amazing, and uh, we continue to uh, have folks that are showing an interest and want to be involved financially. So uh, we're real excited, and I will tell. Uh, our listeners again, uh, this will be jaw dropping. And I've been around uh, uh, building these things and, and watching these these facilities for 40 years, and uh, and built a couple of them myself in my in my career. This is going to be the finest, most beautiful, functional, which is very important. Um, athletic facility in in the United States and boy will that make a difference that'll be a another last piece to this game changer um, mentality that we have and uh, very very exciting for our student athletes and all of them are going to be able to benefit from it so really really upbeat and excited about uh, that that facility coming in the not too distant future. Fantastic. Bill, we got about a minute left. A question on basketball from one of our listeners. He goes, are you expecting big progress from Fred and company this year? I really am. And uh, in talking to Fred uh, on a couple different occasions in the last three or four weeks, he really likes the looks of his team. Um, really going to have some, some uh, exciting new faces that our fans haven't seen yet. The chemistry is really good. Uh, you know, your first year when you're piecing things together, and Greg, I think we had 12 new players. 
last year. Not always is the chemistry going to be uh, what you want. And so through attrition and transfers and graduation and other things, uh, we really have uh, uh, a roster that's really, really uh, getting along great, very talented, doing very well academically, good discipline. It should be a really exciting year, and we'll have some news here by the time we have our, our next show, Greg, that uh, we can talk a little bit more about both uh, Fred's and Amy's teams that uh, are practicing as we speak and getting ready for a season. Very good. Bill, as always, we appreciate it. Have a great month. We'll look forward to seeing you in Columbus here in about a month. It'll be exciting, Greg, and thank you, and go Big Red. Bill Moose. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the Headlines. That's right. It is time to go beyond the headlines. So Brett Woody joining me this week. Have put together our collective brain power, really my collective brain power, like a <laughs> hamster running furiously on a wheel over and over again to come up with the seven best, most interesting, unique topics of all uh, this week. So without further ado, we'll get started. Uh, actually going back to Monday Night Football last night, the Vegas Raiders taking on the Saints 34-24 and proved a 2-0. It was a good way, though, the, the christen their new digs Allegiant Stadium located just right off the Strip. The 65,000 capacity stadium cost just shy of $2 billion and took 31 months to complete. But fans have likened it to the Death Star of Star Wars fame and have even compared it to a Roomba vacuum cleaner. Uh, what do you gents make of the Raiders' new home? Saw some video of Gruden and the guys partying after they were done. So uh, I'm sure it's phenomenal. It reminds me of the one in Phoenix, to be honest with you, a little bit. And I don't, it, uh, it doesn't grab my eye, Ben, like the one in L.A. does. No, it doesn't. But, you know, I said this last night. It's worth repeating. It's 100 times better than what they were playing with in the black hole. I mean, it is is a significant upgrade there. That was not one of the better fields. I'm not a huge fan of the baseball football crossover fields. No. Thankfully, we don't have any of those left. It doesn't look fun to get tackled on those. They're all gone. All those are gone. Yeah. Good. It's a good thing. God, I miss it. I'm going to miss seeing the dirt. Those early season games before really? baseball is over. Come on, Brad, that's a throwback. I mean, it is a throw. It is a throwback, but it's a throwback to an age that is a uh, uh, not good. I think. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on from one uh, professional league to the other, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who is now the owner of the XFL, revealed on his Instagram account today that he's exploring the possibility of becoming the first owner of a sports organization to suit up and play in actual games. The Rock is probably best known for being a WWE and movie star, but he did play college football as a defensive tackle at Miami, and one of his position coaches was none other than Ed Orgeron. That said, uh, do you guys think that The Rock will actually suit up in an XFL game, and do you think that he'd be any good now at the age of 48? No. No. <laughs> no. He hasn't played football in 25 years. No, there's no way. Even in the XFL? No. Okay. I mean, those guys are fighting to make a, you know, make an impression on somebody and get a shot at the NFL. There's no way. True. No, 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 no. Bad idea. I mean, he's a he's a <laughs> bad he's a phenomenal looking 48 year old. Oh, yeah. however old he is. I mean, that dude. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I would I would I would be I would love to see him in pads and see how he moves around. But mm-hmm. there's a lot that leaves you. I mean, I. 
you know, like, for example, you know, I, I played baseball my, my entire life. And even just the few years that you take off and go play in like a rec softball, it's amazing how quick some of those fundamental things in your swing or, um, you know, just in the way that you feel the ground ball just kind of escape you. Hmm. You know, you, you can do the basics, right? You, you mean, you understand the idea, but, you know, the older that you get and, and, and the higher up that you get in leagues, the more technical you have to be in everything that you do, right? I mean, when you teach a, a, young, a young kid, boy or girl, how to swing a bat, right? Elbow up, just keep your eye on the ball. It's basics. Now when you get mm-hmm. to college and, you know, th- the professional level, it's all about approach. It's about stance. It's about um, hips. It's about wrist. It's about, you know, throwing the bat head. It's about, you know, read and react. It's about approach. You know, you throw all those things in there and – I think I think that level of football has probably escaped him <laughs> to a certain degree, having not played or been around, you know, the X's and O's for so long. I mean, point counterpoint. Have you, you know, he's in the WWE and he was in one of the, like eleven the seven of those Fast and Furious movies. So that's probably good enough for football training, I'd say. But well, uh, my, my, I mean, physically, he could do it. I think <laughs> phys- like f- physically and strength wise, there's not going to be very many oh, people no that question. are just going to you know pick him up and move him i think the question is would he pass some of the the tests necessary to uh the play in a professional sports league not not throwing any accusations out but just uh just saying might not be uh not might not might be uh original muscle there there's (laughs) a there's a reason there's no 45 plus year old defensive lineman in the nfl there's a reason why that's yeah. the case well Dwayne just got to switch to quarterback and maybe Bruce Arians will will uh keep an eye on him but uh but hey if you want to throw if you want to throw the rock and Herschel Walker on a team of the he XFL did, yeah. I'll Herschel. watch it <laughs> yes he, he did MMA didn't he at like 40 he something <laughs> well speaking of uh of, of Ed Orgeron um the LSU football coach was featured in a 60 minute piece over the weekend and it's all good stuff but probably the most interesting tidbit from the piece was that Coach O evidently had no idea where Arkansas was when he was offered a job on the Razorbacks coaching staff here. Yeah, take a listen to this, guys. This is a clip here from uh, from the 60 Minutes piece he did. And I'll never forget, man. We shovel shrimp from 5 in the morning to 10 at night. I had a shovel in my hand, and the uh, phone rang. And he goes, hey, man, they have an uh, assistant strength coach job at Arkansas. Do you want it? I said, hold on. I took the shrimp shovel. I threw it in the bayou. And I said, yeah. He said, okay, man, you got to be here by Monday. I said, I got one question for you. He said, what? I said, where the hell is Arkansas, man? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's Coach O in his own words uh, saying as only he can uh, in a barely decipherable Bayou accent that he apparently had no idea uh, where Arkansas was. But I guess just generally, how great is Coach O? Do you guys love him like I do? Because I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> in terms of guys that – I don't know that I'll ever fully understand Ed Orgeron's like right at the top of the list. And that's not to say I don't like him. Like I, I have no ill will towards the guy whatsoever. I just, I feel like I would need to go down to the, to Baton Rouge and spend like a week with him just to understand him and what mm. he's like and his mannerisms and how he runs a college football program. Like, Yes. I remember when he was hired at LSU, I'm like, there is no way this is going to work. This guy's a clown. You know, there's no way this guy can take LSU back yeah. to the promised land. And look what he's done. Look what he built. And 
I don't know how he did it. I, I, I don't. And so I would just lo- – like, if if we were to do a top ten, like, coaches or athletes you want a job shadow or be around, Ed Orgeron's probably number one on my list. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm a fan, too, Tim. I, I think co- what makes college sports so appealing are the personalities of coaches, and he has one. He, he is – He's colorful, and, and that, that sport needs it. And, and so he's good for college football. What's good for college football, I like. Yeah, well, before, uh, Tigers. before we move on to the next thing, you guys take a listen to this. They, they also interviewed Coach O's mom, um, and you can kind of hear, listen to how his mom speaks, uh, where Coach O might have got his accent. Take a listen to this. That was the playground of the whole neighborhood. The ditch was the 50-yard line, and the sideline was a, a hedge. And every <laughs> once in a while, if you go up the sideline, you were in the hedge. <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, Coach O. That whole family, I'm sure, uh, sound like their foghorn leghorn that's been Imagine, Imagine what a Thanksgiving dinner table sounds like <laughs> at the Orgeron house. This would be so down to earth, though. Just such a wholesome, wholesome group there. Got to love it. All right, uh, moving on. Next up, former Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer said on the Dan Patrick show today that he never felt bad when his Buckeyes beat up on the Michigan Wolverines. Meyer told Patrick that he would refuse to tell his players to, quote, slow down when beating Michigan by a big margin. Uh, Do you guys see Meyer's point here? Or is stepping on the gas pedal when your team is already up big kind of a Bush League move? Oh, you know, I think in that case, that's such a big rivalry game, and there's so much said one way or the other. I, I kind of get that. Urban's cutthroat, there's no doubt. I thought when you mentioned Urban, you were going to talk about how how he's really stood up for Nebraska. He did that again today, I think, on the same show on the Dan Patrick show, where he said, he's, he said, hey, I'm not, I think coaches, athletic directors, school presidents should fight for their student athletes and their players. And he goes, that's what Nebraska was doing. I love that. Mm-hmm. But Urban's a cutthroat guy, and those guys generally win. And he won. True. So, let me put it to you this way: If Nebraska had a chance to bury Iowa and, and score seventy, I'd want them to do it. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? After everything that that's happened in, in, in our rivalry with Iowa in the last game of the year, and everything that we've heard from the border state to the east, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want Scott Frost telling us telling us to back off the gas. I'd want to say, let's push the throttle through the floor and see what we can do. Got a few other teams in mind. Yeah, think of the children, Ben. Think, think of the, the children. children. They're just youths that need to be protected. Um, all right, moving on. In this one from the NFL. On Sunday, the Atlanta Falcons became the first NFL team since 1933 to score at least 39 points in a game and not turn the ball over once, yet still lose. Atlanta really no strangers to collapsing in games like that, so one Falcon fan decided he'd had enough, and he actually wrote a resignation letter to the team renouncing his fandom. Uh, following the loss in the letter the fan wrote quote I'm sure you'll probably write back and tell me that the door is always open for me to return but let's be honest we both know that's because you don't know how to close anything (laughs) (laughs) what would it take for you guys to to quit on your favorite teams like that and you ever picture yourselves writing a resignation letter of your fandom I mean I kind of feel like if I didn't send in my resignation before the Royals got good (laughs) Um, I, I don't know that I would ever just abandon them. Mm-hmm. I understand it, especially when there's a Super Bowl involved in there, Super Bowl championship, and not just any Super Bowl, but one that you gave to Tom Brady. I think that, that makes it even worse. Um, but, yeah, you surrender that lead and then, you know, t- to another team that, that nobody likes in the Cowboys, man, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to swallow as a fan. 
it's like one of those things, right? How would you rather lose? How would you would you rather lose, you know, that way on a on a last second field goal and a heartbreaker, or would you rather lose by fifty? I mean, it's like, do you have to give an answer? <laughs> If you're a true fan, you have a love-hate relationship with your team, right? I mean, you love them, but then you hate what they do to your insides when they when you get your guts ripped out after a heartbreaking loss. But because you love them, you go back. And, and I'll tell you, I, three years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely blew a playoff game against the Tennessee Titans. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Rolling with this team. Well, then the next year, here comes Patrick Mahomes strolling through the door, yeah. takes over quarterback, and I'm back. I mean, that's what they do to you. And, and Husker fans know this. Husker fans have done this a thousand times over with the Huskers in every sport that we follow. So it's, it's the way sports fan is. It's that love-hate relationship. I was the same way after the Colts game, the, the Chiefs-Colts playoff game, when they blew a 28-point lead. Right. Uh, the Air Force Academy unveiled their new alternate uniforms that they plan to wear against Navy two weeks from today. Uh, the alternates, or not from today, from now, the alternates will honor the Tuskegee Airmen, the first African-American pilots in the U.S. Army Air Corps, uh, which was formed in 1940. The uniforms will feature squadron patches on the helmets and include the Red Tails nickname on the back of their jerseys. Um, with that in mind, what are the coolest alternate uniforms that you guys have seen worn in recent memory? And also, what did you guys think of these uniforms in particular? I loved I, them. I did too. And I think the Army-Navy ones that they come out every year are awesome too. Oh, yeah. Love the Navy ones. <laughs> Big fan of Navy. Yeah, I, I like these. What a cool sentiment. What a cool tribute to the Tuskegee Airmen. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you do those alternate uniforms, and it's – there's not a lot of gray area. Either you really like them mm-hmm. or you can't stand them. True. And, I, you know, I keep rolling through my mind on the Nebraska ones because the Oscars usually roll out one every year. And my favorite, and this may just be my age, my favorite was the throwback ones that they wore to, for, like, the 300 sellout against Louisiana. Uh, those were my favorite ones, and those were a throwback and really not an alternate one. Were those the white ones? Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. I really yeah. like yeah. those. Yeah, those were yeah. good. I like the '90s throwbacks too, with those like a kind of tearaway quality yeah. fabric. Those those okay. were good too, but the ones that Nebraska's unveiled against Wisconsin the past few years, I've not been a fan of those with the big black end. It's like, oh, oh mm-hmm. no, thanks. I think, think the the uniforms that I. Like and and it became I mean it was it was like wildfire when it happened but I don't know if you guys remember that game it might have been in like 2013 or 2014 when Boise State played Virginia Tech and Va Tech came out in those black alternates with the matte helmets the matte finish helmets and they were kind of the first ones to have that look okay I was hooked after that I mean I was all about them and that and then you saw everybody come out with 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 that look when they had alternate uniforms but that was one of the first games when you had both teams go with the alternate uniform look and they both looked really nice i mean the boise state ones they had the the blue helmets and the and obviously the white but the the the, the black uniforms that vatek rolled in, in that night and there's been some great ones since like um, I was always a huge fan of Oregon's com- – when, when, what they wore here, the white helmet with the white jersey and the black pants. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them that, that I could go through that, uh, that I really liked. But that, 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 that kind of set the tone for the whole, you know, next five years in terms of, of 
jerseys. I could give you two of my least favorite ones right off the top. <laughs> Florida wore like a gator-looking uniform a couple of years ago where it looked <laughs> like an alligator, and they were just an eyesore. Um, really, really hard to look at. And Ooh, yeah. Ooh. And I think the, the other ones that stick out were Maryland War ones that had like a turtle, turtle shell, yeah, the turtle shell on the helmet. That was weird. But the Florida <laughs> ones were by far the worst I've, I've seen. Oh, with that alligator skin? Oh, yeah, yeah that's, it looks those like are rough. They, yeah. I, I can see in concept they might have thought it was cool, but on the field, yeah, those look uh, pretty hideous. Yeah, yeah. No, those aren't great. Well, uh, we're going to finish off here. And sorry, unfortunately, I, we, I know we set the precedent here of having a crazy like ending story of a guy like burning down a forest with a <laughs> gender reveal party or something like that. But, but nothing, nothing too crazy this week. Uh, but I did want to spotlight a former Husker. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer linebacker Levante David was the highest rated defensive player in the NFL on Sunday, according to Pro Football Focus. Former Husker received a 90-point grade from the data and analytics service. So kind of going along that, is there any other player you guys can think of in the league right now that you could argue is more undervalued or underrated than David? Because I feel like David's a guy that is kind of unheralded. And outside of, like, Husker Nation, not a lot of people really know about him because he's kind of stuck in Tampa. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy that's been overshadowed really his entire football career, right? I mean, ends up at junior college, comes to Nebraska, and – was too small for the NFL and is I think since since he and he's probably past Keekley now since he retired but um, was behind only Keekley and in, in total tackles in the NFL I'm sure since he's joined the league he's number one on that list now but yeah that's that's a that's a tough one to beat there that's for sure I you know the the Sunday night game which was New England and Seattle they got into a discussion about underrated players and they were trying <laughs> They were trying to throw Russell Wilson into that bench. Oh, oh he's and they were they were quoting your guy Tim Bill Belichick going, "Oh, he's just he's underrated. He really is underrated." That's and insane. I'm like, "What? Most people consider Wilson one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. How's that underrated to me?" I, so I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. Some people think some guys are underrated. I, I, Levante's at the top of the list for me. I mean, Russell Wilson is in everybody's top three, if not top five, of best NFL quarterbacks. I think if you were to make a list of best NFL linebackers the last 10 years, one out of every five or two or three out of every 10 people would put Levante in that list, and he should be. That, to me, is underrated. Right. Yep. That's all we have for this week. Good. Nice stuff right there. We think him up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. All right. Well, we thought we'd talk about guys who you get used to watching them play for one team, and then all of a sudden they pop up on somebody else's roster. We credit Tim Curran and his love affair with Tom Brady for this topic tonight. Look, it's a it's a real love affair, unrequited love. As far as I know, Tom Brady does not know of my existence, but that that may soon change. Uh, we'll see. Those ben, love letters uh, haven't reached him yet. No, not yet. Um, they're <laughs> when they, they're they're stitched together with like cut out letters from magazines. So that's probably what put him off a little bit. But mm. don't worry, one of these days. Ben, isn't it called a bromance? Isn't that the right term for this? I'm sure Tim is very much against that that phrase. That just doesn't seem like. Something that Tim is for. Um, I, I could see that that phrase really getting under his skin. Am I right on that? No, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's in my common parlance, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say it gets under my skin, you okay. know. 
We're just uh, platonic friends. First all. upset of the night. <laughs> all right. Well, Ben, you came up with this one, so we're going to let you lead us off. Yeah. Um, so my first, I guess I should preface this by saying a lot of these just came to my head and uh, didn't do really any research. So a couple of them were even teammates and they were just too good to not put on here. I, I think if you did enough research, a couple of my guys could have been replaced, but these are all, shoot, maybe all Hall of Famers. I I'm not sure. Uh, my, number, my number 10 is, is the first one is, is Scottie Pippen, right? You hear Scottie Pippen and you automatically assume the Bulls, but then you watch the Last Chance or uh, Last Dance documentary, and yep, off to Portland you go. This, yes, they were still red and black, but just didn't look the same. Yeah, Tim, you could see that. Uh, well, my number 10, I, I've got a you know pretty recent one. This one just kind of stuck out to me because it's obviously very recent. I got reminded of it Sunday night. Uh, yeah, Cam in New England. I'm, I'm still not getting used to it. Now, I can't say I dislike it. I was pretty skeptical, I think, of Mr. Newton and his abilities. I thought he was kind of shot. But um, the first two games, so far, so good. Now, unfortunately, he didn't make it into the end zone that very last play against the, the Seahawks, and that was a cause of great pain for me. But um, uh, even though I'm very much enjoying the style of play, uh, his performances, I don't think seeing him in that uniform has, has got me. I, I still expect Tom Brady to be trotting out alongside Bill Belichick, but uh, that's, that is not the case anymore in New England. Do, do you have the Superman... Uh, move down yet, Tim? Have you worked on that? I have not done the Superman move. Um, I can't say. Uh, you know, I, I will say this about Cam: is I know a lot of his celebrations get under people's skin, to, to use Ben's phrase. Um, I've always enjoyed them, I, although I, I don't. I can't say. I, I think the Superman celebration is the most clever and creative thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't mind it. I'm willing to to get into the spirit of things if Cam keeps this thing rolling. And Ben, back to your Scotty Pippen. Was it LeBron that got so offended a while back being compared to Pippen? Was that is that right? Was it LeBron? Yeah, he was the one compared to it. I think he was more hacked off at uh, who was it? Who was it that compared? It to was him? Jay Williams. Jay Williams. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Because someone had someone had compared Giannis to Pippen, and then that's when Jay Williams made the. It was he called like LeBron, or no, sorry, he said D Wade was the MJ of the Miami Heat, yeah. which is strange, right? All right, uh, my number 10, uh, I'm going way back for baseball. guy named Harmon Killebrew, who was a mm-hmm. longtime Minnesota Twins, one of the top 10 home run leaders in all of baseball history. But he didn't end his career with the Twins. He ended it with the Royals. And how weird was it to see Harmon Killebrew putting on a Royals uniform after his illustrious career, first with the Senators before they moved to the Twin Cities and became the Twins. Uh, but Harmon Killebrew, along our old older seasoned audience will remember that name. There were a lot of guys that played for the Royals, Greg, that you could have put right. on this yeah. list yeah. Um, that I thought of. But I'm like, yeah, this probably isn't. If we're going for top ten, this is probably not top ten. Uh, my number nine, definitely worthy of top ten. I'm going back to the hardwood. I've got Hakeem Olajuwon here at number nine. Yes, he's known for his time with the Houston Rockets. Some may not remember he finished his career with the Toronto Raptors. Wow, I forgot places. that. I forgot that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a unique one. Well, this one uh, is a guy you guys, I'm sure, are very very familiar with, and he actually had a few teams I could have associated him. But the 
the one stint he had that was stranger than all the others, um, of course, talking now about Brett Favre, uh, was when he went to the New York Jets and he was known as Jet Favre for a season. Uh, he technically ended his career in Minneapolis, um, in Minnesota, and he actually began his career in Atlanta, uh, but obviously spent the very bulk of it with, with Green Bay. But for some reason, that, that New York stint is so strange to me because actually in, in Minnesota, he had some success. Uh, went to the playoffs, and, and and I actually kind of have some vivid memories of him playing in, in Minnesota with the Vikings, and of course that was a big rivalry with Green Bay, so that was kind of memorable. But the him in New York for a year was just beyond bizarre, and I don't think I ever got used to it. In fact, in researching this, I was like, oh yeah, Jet Favre. I remember that was a thing for a year. So that has to be Brett Favre with the New York Jets is one of my, my, my number nine. Cool. All right. My number nine is the great one, Wayne Gretzky. And he skated for a couple different teams, but he became a superstar with Edmonton and won a couple cup championships there. And then it was a big to-do when he went to L.A. to play for the Kings, got a money grab, made some big money, got to Hollywood, met his wife, uh, and then ended up playing again for another franchise at the end of his career. But the great one, Wayne Gretzky, changing teams, makes my list at number nine. Yeah, Greg, I, I, he was a tough cut for me. And, and the, the only reason I left him off is because of the stints that he played. I mean, it wasn't just like one year, but I do remember how – or I've read, I guess I can't remember that when it happened, how big of a deal it was when he was traded. So more than worthy of a spot on here. But, you know, when you look up Wayne Gretzky's career, what was he there, like eight years, seven, six, seven, yeah. eight years in, in L.A.? And then he went to – was it the Rangers? He was with the Rangers for a couple of years. Yeah, he became a you know a little bit of a, a hopper, but yeah, you're right. Getting his uh, his reputation with the Oilers, I've got three NBAs in a row actually to start here, Ooh. and and my my next in this line. See my last one. Nope, I've got one left after this. One more NBA after this. I've got the mailman here at number eight, Carl Malone. Of course, you want all remember him with the Utah Jazz, but do you remember him as a Los Angeles Laker? Probably nope. not. Yeah, I can't say vaguely, that I do. Just vaguely, yeah. Yeah, I got another NBA one uh, for my number eight. Uh, how about Tony Parker in Charlotte? Uh, the French point guard played 17 seasons with San Antonio, but then his very last season of the NBA played for the Charlotte Hornets for a year 56 games and you know Charlotte is where you know good players go to die uh, as Kemba Walker uh, found out toiling in Charlotte for all those years and so yeah I I, when researching this again I I totally totally put that out of mind I was like holy crap Tony Parker actually did play in Charlotte Uh, I mean he won like how many uh, NBA finals with San Antonio was part of this great dynasty and he's like yeah I'm gonna go play in Charlotte for a year uh, and he did uh, play 56 games. They didn't make the playoffs. And I think most fans probably t- totally forgot about that that era of Tony Parker and Charlotte. And he breaks up with Eva Longoria, too. Oh, wow. What in the world? Double whammy. Man, crazy. I'm going Major League Baseball for my number eight, the Rocket. Roger Clemens came up with the Red Sox, became a dominant pitcher, then skipped over to Toronto before ending up with the Yankees. Uh, but I always think of him as a Red Sox. That's where he broke in. That's where he became a star after leaving the University of Texas, pitching the Longhorns to the College World Series. So Rocket Clemens makes my list at eight. Awesome. All right, my number seven, first non-NBA player, and this is one that I thought would be much higher on my list, but finds its way at number seven. I've got Yogi Berra here at, at number seven. Of course, New York Yankees is his claim to fame, but 
hopped over to the the other rival of the Subway Series, the New York Mets, and that's, that's just right. that just never looks right. Yogi no. Berra in a Mets uniform. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I can see how it could stick in some uh, Yankee fans' craws. Uh, my number seven. I know Austin's not here, but I don't know what his opinion on this whole ordeal is. But yeah, Philip Rivers and Indy. It's <laughs> it's not. I'm I'm adjusting to that. So I know Andrew Luck's departure was was something else. But, um, you know, Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis, uh, I guess the, the, the interceptions have carried over. But that, that look, it, I'm still getting used to it. So he's my, he's my number seven. Okay. My number seven's for Tim. Uh, Albert Pujols, longtime Cardinal, drafted mm. by the Cardinals, came up. It was a dominant part of that franchise. And then all of a sudden, like a flick of a switch, he's now the Angels. Still feel, I still feel like he's a Cardinal deep down. But, man, it's just odd seeing him in the American League. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. It's been painful for all these years. And the weird thing, too, about that, Greg, is, like, it, we have such a strong association with him with St. Louis, but he's been with the Angels for quite a while oh, yeah. now. Probably just still, as yeah. long as he's been in St. Louis. Right. It's been about it, it's been about the same length. And so, but, but still, I think most Major League Baseball fans still think Albert Pujols St. Louis. It's just weird. And he yeah. hasn't been, you know, he definitely hasn't been worth the money that, the, that they've yeah. paid him. With the Angels as well. All right, on to number – or, Greg, you're up, right? No, you just nope, had you, pools. I had pools. Uh, yeah, my number six, uh, I've got Joe Montana here at number six. Ooh, yeah. Yes, 49ers quarterback. He was a Kansas City Chief. To me, this one is a little lower because, you know, growing up, I, I, I did know him as a Chief. Of course, I knew him more as a 49er, but being a Chiefs fan, you know, getting sent our way, you know, this wasn't as strange to me. So – Probably higher on some people's list, but definitely worthy of a top 10 slot. Finds its way at number six, Joe Montana to Kansas City. Yep. That's, that's a good pick. Uh, my number six, this one might end up on your guys' list as well, and this one probably deserved to be higher, but how about Jerry Rice playing for the Seahawks? Uh, <laughs> he had a brief stint with the Raiders as well from 2001-2003, but then in the middle of the 2004 season, he got traded to the Seahawks at the ripe old age of 41. And actually, I think he had, had a couple decent games. I know he had a big game Monday night, um, but I completely forgot about this era. He even wore a Steve Largent's retired jersey number of 80. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Seahawks, it was not a long career with the Seahawks, but definitely a, a notable one. Um, you know, as Jerry Rice, obviously, is a legend, so deserves a little mention there. Um, but technically, that wasn't his last stop. He did actually have a contract with Denver, but he did not end up making the final uh, roster for them. So, uh, but Jerry Rice with, with Seattle, uh, that was, was a strange one. It is. You guys both go. You goes back-to-back 49ers. Pretty impressive there from you two. All right, I'm back to Major League Baseball, and I've got Reggie Jackson here, Mr. October. Game splashing on was a rookie with the Kansas City A's. They then moved to Oakland, became the Oakland Athletics, won a couple World Series championships there, and then he went for a money grab of the Yankees. So Reggie Jackson just looked weird to me in pinstripes after all those great years with the green and gold of Oakland. Nice. Very good. All right, my number five, um, Tim, you mentioned it at your number nine. I've got Brett Favre here at nine. I, I, I think it was weirder seeing him with Minnesota just because – he had all those rivalry games with them in Green Bay. It, yep. it would be like, you know, somebody like almost like Marcus Allen, right? Hopping from the Chiefs to the Raiders, you know, to go play for your rival. It's just it was super weird seeing him play for anybody other than other than Green Bay, Jets included. But to me, watching him in purple was even more bizarre. 
Yeah. Isn't it weird? You plan for your rival. That's what was so bizarre Although, about that. Weirdly enough, that was actually kind of what made me like Brett because I never just I could not stand Green Bay. And I and I even though Brett Favre is a tremendous player, I never liked him just because he played for Green Bay. But when he played for Minnesota, you know, I, I actually kind of got into Favre. Now I miss him totally because Aaron Rodgers makes my skin crawl. And so now I, you know, shooting myself because I love uh, – Miss, or I, I'd rather I miss seeing him play. But anyway, moving on, uh, number five. Well, uh, Shaquille O'Neal played on a handful of teams. Most probably remember him with the Lakers most prominently. He had some good years with Miami. Uh, actually played also for Orlando way back in the in the 90s during the start of his career. But did you guys remember he also played for the Boston Celtics? Um, hmm. Yeah, so to 2010 to a 2011, had like 37 games for the for Boston uh totally bizarre I, I can't remember that I know um just before that as well he had a short stint with Cleveland he even uh spent a couple of years in Phoenix and was known as the Shactus uh so I remember that <laughs> kind of marketing thing but yeah Boston that was his last stop and definitely his most obscure Shaq was basically a journeyman towards the end of his career playing for like three different teams in the span of four years so uh yeah but Shaq and Boston a, a, a strange one how do you guys critique him as a Analyst on the TNT show. I mean, oh, it's great. He no, and Chuck. Great. He and Chuck win awards. I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't often like those studio shows. I don't. I don't know. I just don't really get into them. But if if I'm flipping through and they're on and, and Ernie's there trying to play middleman, I'm, I'm. You better believe I'm watching. Oh yeah, if the chemistry's out the charts, and then they always look like they want to fight each other. It's it's fantastic. I love it. Best studio show in sports, right? Yes, easily. Yeah. yeah. Yep, agreed. All right, my number five, another old school guy for me from the National Football League. I'm going Joe Willie Namath. Took yeah, the Jets to the Super Bowl title, and then all of a sudden you look up and he's playing for the Rams. You're like, what? That's not right. You're a Jet. You won the Super Bowl. You guaranteed it. You can't go play for the Rams. That was just odd seeing him play for them. I forgot. I have seen that photo. That, that there's like one. Isn't there like one iconic photo of him with the Rams? I have, I have seen that picture of him in the Rams uniform. I, I yep. forgot all his, about it. His nickname weird. is even Broadway Joe. So what was right. he in L.A.? Like Sunset Boulevard or like what? <laughs> awesome. All right, my number four is one that hits host close to home. I've got Ken Griffey Jr. here at number four. Seattle Mariners was was where he was uh, in his prime and then, you know, goes to Cincinnati of all places and, you know, started getting injured all the time. His hamstrings were, were just never cooperating. But that, that was one I just – that was when you kind of knew it was over for Ken Griffey. When he made that hop to Cincinnati, you, you just knew that, that his prime was, was finished up. But – we all loved the Mariners growing up in the you know the late '90s and early 2000s just because of that swing. Yep. Well, my number four. I'm going back to the NBA, and this one's another recent one because I was reminded of it uh, during the bubble. Is Carmelo Anthony is still in the league and he's playing for the Portland Trailblazers? I didn't even know he was. St- <laughs> I thought he was <laughs> retired. He was one of the guys, and I know we talked about this a, a month or so ago. Of of he's like one of the five or six oldest active players in the NBA right now. Uh, we actually had to look it up, um, but yeah, he he played for in Denver for a long time, which is what most people remember him. Of course, he went to New York, played for the Knicks. It was kind of a high profile move. Didn't do much there, and then has now kind of done the Shack thing of playing for like random teams like Oklahoma. City in Houston now he's in Portland Um, but yeah I think he's 35 36 he's up there Uh, he's still playing I'm not sure if he's going to play next season but yeah Carmelo in Portland kind of a obscure uh, thing for the former superstar very good all right my number four you guys have both had Tim you had it at nine Ben you had it at five and here's Brett Favre and I'm with you Ben that 
just the sight of him playing for Minnesota because there's longtime rivals with Green Bay was just so odd. And I know he ended up going to the Jets there for the very end, but just really weird. And do you see the shots of him? He went and saw uh, Tom Brady play. Yeah. Took like, like his grandson to the game the other day in Tampa. So he's still, still around, still looks pretty good for his age. Right. Um, all right, my number three, um, again, very, very strange. Never expected to see this, and it's one it's one you often forget about. Emmett Smith finishing his career with the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, hmm. just Emmett Smith is a you know he's a cowboy legend. He's on the Mount Rushmore in Dallas. Can <laughs> he go play for the Cardinals? What? <laughs> yep. Weird. Well, my number three, Brett Woody's in the studio, but I, so I figured I better pick a soccer one for him. Um, I've got uh, Steven Gerrard. He was a longtime Liverpool midfielder, a one-club guy, which is kind of increasingly rare in soccer. There aren't many dudes who just stick on one team. He was there from 1998 all the way until 2015. Then he retires, has his big retirement ceremony. It's all done. You know, everyone's crying. Goodbye, Steven Gerrard. He's leaving the game. Then he goes to the U.S. and plays for the Los Angeles Galaxy first season, then quits. Uh, so... It's like, it's kind of a, I don't know what the equivalent would be. I guess it's sort of like a Tom Brady spends your entire, you know, career with the Patriots and then goes plays for for Tampa Bay. But I don't know. I think it's it's even weirder in, in soccer because I think a lot of those English superstars treat Major League Soccer like a retirement home where they don't really count it as real, quote unquote, soccer. And they just kind of collect a paycheck and kind of stand around a midfield and watch everyone else run around <laughs> so I mean I, I guess and maybe maybe some English fans don't even count that as another club because they're just thinking like oh that's basically the minor leagues who cares so uh, but yeah Steven Gerrard a uh, longtime Liverpool midfielder ended up in LA uh, that was a weird one my number three and, and right soccer is the tradition is if you score a goal against your old team you're not supposed to celebrate that's correct Did, yes didn't we cover that in one of our top tens yeah, that's right. the thing. <laughs> All right, my number three, Ben, you had it at six. Here's Joe Montana. And I'm, I'm glad he played for the Chiefs, but it was just so odd after he won yeah. all those Super Bowls in San Francisco to see him come to Kansas City. He led the Chiefs to an AFC title game where they got beat by Buffalo, but that was just hard to get used to seeing Joe Montana in Kansas City. Right. All right, on to the top two. And here's where I got Tim's boy, Terrific Tom, here at number two. <laughs> it just – I don't get it. It's just weird. It's just really, really weird. And I've watched parts of – I watched almost their whole game with the Saints, but I watched just bits and pieces of, of, the, of the last game with Tampa Bay. And I can't help but think when Tom Brady goes to the line of scrimmage and thinking, what's going on in his head? Does he ever miss – has he missed being in New England? Does he miss having Belichick on the sideline? Does he miss that? Or is this – I mean, what is it like for him? I, I just imagine it being such a weird, strange – situation for him right now but yeah i just 12 yep. at tampa bay just looks weird yeah i didn't put it on because it's not weird to me it's it's tragic it's it's tears too float pain. on my face every time too, i see it too painful yeah it's too painful yeah. uh well how about this for a weird one uh, my number two i've got ichiro with the marlins that was a strange uh period i know he had a brief kind of stint with the yankees that was kind of weird enough but yeah he was a long long time uh seattle mariner and actually i think uh, more players should do this he actually did end up finishing his career in Seattle so they kind of had that nice circular thing to it but what a longevity uh, of a career for Ichiro I mean he spent you know basically 20 years in Major League Baseball and before that he spent like what seven eight years playing professionally in Japan so the dude had played baseball for a long long time um, but yeah the, the Miami Marlins stint uh, I totally forgot about that until 
I was researching for today. And, uh, yeah, uh, Ichiro in Miami, uh, not a match made in heaven, uh, but it, it happened. Wasn't it like two years ago that they, the Mariners opened the season in Japan? That's and right. He, and he had some at-bats, and then they had him give a curtain call and come out, and a couple of the guys were laughing, saying, yeah, he won't retire. We've tried to do this three or four times, <laughs> and he keeps coming back. But I think he's done now. All right, my number two, Michael Jordan, after that long run with the Bulls, to him to play for Washington and the Wizards. And then wearing the number 45 just was really, really odd uh, with all that. I know he did it with the Bulls for a while, too, but uh, Jordan's – finish with the Wizards just does not seem right yeah I mean that's that's my number one I mean Jordan and, and Wizards it's just so strange and you go look at his statistics right still had a pretty solid year with with the Wizards it's just yeah that 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 to me is you know kind of in uh, other than Tom Brady inspired this whole list so that's that's my number one yeah, my number one, um, and it, I kind of bent the rules a little bit because this actually isn't someone who ended up on a new team, but someone who really is no longer associated with his old team. And at least, I don't know, curious to hear you guys' perspective on this because I, I totally mentally blocked this from my brain. Is uh, How about Drew Brees, a former San Diego Charger, oh, yeah. played there for five seasons, and then in 2006 switched to, to New Orleans. And and I, I just – I honestly, I think back to it. I remember he had some injuries with, with, with San Diego, and I, I briefly, briefly remember that tenure there. But I, I still – I mean, if you if you tell me Drew Brees, I think New Orleans, and I can't even remember his time in San Diego. That's that's how, like, vivid the, <laughs> the image of him with New Orleans is in my head now. I totally forgot he started his career with the Bolts. Well, they chose Rivers over breeze it's true that's what it came down to they they, they picked one and they chose phil now yeah. <laughs> and now indianapolis has them so good for them they chose incorrectly <laughs> <laughs> all right my number one's tom brady i mean come on all those super bowl rings uh name synonymous with belichick to break up the bees go to tampa bay just really, really strange, and I think maybe because we're living in that day, it's why it's more top of mind for me. So I've got Brady at number one. How long does he last there? How many years does he go in Tampa? I think he plays more than one. I, I don't think he's just one and done there. Do you? Do you? I mean, Tim, you know him better than us. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. speak with him Tim on the radio. Inside info. <laughs> no, I, I do think he'll have at least two seasons, just because the number one, they're paying him a lot. Might as well, you know. You stretch that puppy out as long as you can. So, and plus, he's such a competitor that I I could see if maybe they sneak in the playoffs and he's still got something stuck in his craw after an ugly loss or something, then he comes back. But yeah, I mean, the guy the guy doesn't want to quit. He's got that he's got that uh, mama mentality. He's going to stay as long as they tell him he he can't. All right, very good, cool list. That was fun.